Uh, we have finished with the book of Romans, and we are going to start the book of Philippians. But I thought while we have a, um, a break in the middle here as sort of an Apostle Paul palate cleanser, we'll dive into the Old Testament, grab a psalm, one of my favorites, Psalm 121. Uh, we're going to dive right in so you can find that. Uh, it is on if you want to reach and grab a Bible underneath a chair in front of you. Um, it's on page 629. It'll be on the screen also, but it's always nice to have a copy of the Word of God right in, right in front of you. Uh, the, the psalmist will take care of the illustrations for us today. So we're going to dive right in. Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I will lift my eyes to the mountains or the hills. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time and forever. Psalm 121. If you've got a Bible open, if this were a test, and I just, really simple first question, if I just ask you to put your finger on the first word of Psalm 121, a whole bunch of us would miss that easy question. Because we would probably want to go right after verse 1 and put our fingers right here, and that's not correct. This part, a song of ascents, is not something that your, uh, the editors of your English version wrote in there like a subtitle. That's the first, it's two Hebrew words. That means a song of ascents or a song for the goings up. That's the setting for this song or psalm or poem. It tells us what this was for and when this was traditionally sung, recited. Three times each year, uh, this is in the Old Testament, where maybe a thousand years before Christ, give or take. In that day and age, all faithful Israelites, people who believed in the God of Israel, God required them three times a year to go up to Israel. Israel was, or excuse me, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was always up because it's on a mountain. They had to go there for what we call the Passover, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, for, the, the, for Pentecost, or the Feast of the Harvest, um, or, or the Feast of Weeks, it's called sometimes. And they had to go for the, the Feast of Booths, or tabernacle, Tabernacles, the ingathering. That's the one that has the Day of Atonement. So three times a year, people who believed in God, God's people, had to travel up to Jerusalem. And this psalm was like traveling music for that trip. When you were a kid, if you ever went on vacation, 
You didn't have electronics. Did you ever sing songs on the way? Mercifully for Israel, 99 bottles of beer on the wall had not yet been written. <laughs> row, row, row your boat hadn't come along yet, so nobody had to like jump off the horse on the way. Not that anybody had a horse, but... This was the traveling music for, for Israel on the way up to Jerusalem. And they needed an encouraging message. Because if you are, are going to imagine yourself an ancient Israelite making this required trip that God has, has asked of you, if you lived in Nazareth, like where Jesus would be born a thousand or so years, excuse me, where he'd be from, a thousand or so years later, you'd have to walk 65 miles to Jerusalem. That's a trek. So that would be tough. But even if you were much closer, it wouldn't get a lot easier. If you lived in Jericho, which is kind of at the, at the base of the mountain, you'd only be 17 miles from Jerusalem. That's the, that's the path Jesus walked on his last trip into Jerusalem through Jericho. But it's not an easy 17 miles. The elevation rises 3,300 feet in those 17 miles. Jericho's below sea level. Jerusalem's on top of a mountain. And that road was nicknamed the Way of Blood. Not a compliment. It was named that because it's where like thugs, bandits, robbers hid out to sort of mug folks on their way to Jerusalem because they always brought offerings with them. That's why if you've ever read Jesus' story, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's set on that road for a reason because people got beaten up and mugged. So, if we were going to leave here today and make a similar trip, first, we would have to put on what, by our estimation, would be some really lousy footwear. We would have to leave here and walk about as far as Juanita from here. But if you think that last hill before Juanita is steep, here's what 3,300 feet of elevation looks like. Imagine that Juanita was not where it's at, but it was on top of what we used to call the Sears Tower. That's about half as high as we'd have to climb. So if we were down here at Jericho and we were going to walk 17 miles and climb two Sears Towers and dodge armed thugs on the way. That's what God asked his people to do three times a year. Now, is it any wonder that this traveling music, this song for the climb starts the way it does? I look up toward those hills. Who in the world is going to help me get up there? That's like the setting and the focus of Psalm 121. We, if you know the, 
the song, I lift my eyes unto the hills, where does my help come from? It can kind of seem like, and one of our older translations makes it seem like that the solution is the hills. The hills are the problem. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm older. I don't get around as well as I used to. Maybe I've got little kids. That's a steep climb. There's not railings the way we would think there should be. It's dangerous. It's hard. I look way up there at those hills, and that's what God has told me, where he wants me to go and what he wants me to do. But I'm not sure I can do it. Is there anyone who is able to help me do what God has asked me to do? That's sort of the intro to the psalm. And as soon as our poet gets that sort of doubt-tinged question out of his mouth, he shares with us the answer. Who is going to help me get up there? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist does something very helpful when we are uh, encountered with a big problem, a big situation. He zooms out and he looks at his problem from God's perspective. And he's going to do something really cool in this, in this poem, in this song, Psalm 121. If, if this were a movie, you've got to think of the camera lens here. He zooms way out to see this from God's perspective, then he's going to zoom back in. And then he's going to zoom back out again, and he's going to zoom back in. He's going to do it over and over. And the first thing he does, where he's considering himself, he's looking at those hills off in the distance. I know Jerusalem's up there somewhere. Who in the world can help little old me get way up there? And he goes, oh yeah, the one who asked me to go. The one who asked me to climb that dangerous mountain is the one who actually spoke that mountain into existence. The one who's going to help me is the one who made heaven and earth simply because he decided to create a universe one time. And he created everything out of nothing simply by speaking it into existence. Let there be light and there was light. Let there be an expanse. There was an expanse. Let there be plants. There was plants. Sometimes when we are faced with something that seems too big to be altogether doable, it is really helpful to zoom out and look at my problems from God's perspective. We walk in here and sit down this morning climbing lots of different hills, dealing with the death of someone that we weren't ready to say goodbye to, dealing with suddenly a very long rehab, a diagnosis with subsequent treatment, a really difficult conversation I need to have that I don't think I can, I can do, you name it. Whatever that, that hill is, that mountain is that we are facing, it's not as hard as creating the universe out of nothing. 
So we lift our eyes to our problem when it seems too big for us to handle. I don't think I can do this. Zoom out and remind yourself, my help will come from the one who created all this out of nothing. And as we're going to see, he will walk us through the mountains and hills he puts in front of us. So he's been confronted with this problem. He has zoomed out and like, oh yeah, the one who's going to help me get up the mountain is the one who created the mountain. And this huge mountain to me is just a little bitty pebble to the God who created it. And so after he's zoomed out and done that, verse 3, he zooms right back in. And he says, he will not allow your foot to slip. You see what he does there? He zooms way out and, and, and considers the cosmos God created, heavens and earth. But we don't just have a creator God that is aloof and out there and disconnected. We have a God that cares about my sandal on this mountain. The camera zooms right in to his foot. See, God could create everything out of nothing and at the same time, care about every footstep you or I take. The psalmist says, God, he will not allow my foot to slip. The God who has asked our psalmist to climb that difficult mountain um, can keep him safe while he climbs the mountain God asked him to climb. While this guy is doing what he knows the Lord would have him do, there won't be one misstep that God doesn't see, that God doesn't know, that God can't deal with. He says, the one who keeps me, protects me, uh, won't uh, lose his focus. He won't slumber. He won't nod off. He won't have an attention gap. He'll see every one of my feet. Indeed, verse 4, he says, He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's kind of repeating himself, but there's one difference. The camera has zoomed back out. Do you notice? He said, God is watching my very feet, my footsteps. But then he zooms out and says, I'm not the only one in this. God has asked all of Israel. I'm not the only one God has asked to climb this hill. Has he seen people do this before? Is he seeing people go through this right now? Yes, and yes, God has promised for this guy, all of Israel, if he asks us to get to the top of that hill, he's going to get us to the top of that hill. And he does, he's not going to nod off. He doesn't sleep nor slumber. That means uh, he doesn't take little tiny naps and he doesn't need a nightly recharge. Now he's going to zoom back in again. So 
God made this mountain. He can help me. He sees my very feet. He sees everybody else in Israel that's going up here. And now he's going to zoom back in again. Verse 5, he says, the Lord is your protector. It's hard to tell this in English, but this is, this is a singular your. He's not talking about the nation of Israel. He writes this to, to some Israelite in the future who is climbing this mountain. I want you to know the Lord is your protector. This isn't y'all. This is singular, one person, you. The Lord is your protector. Now, is, is this a promise that nothing bad could ever happen while we climb this hill to Jerusalem? Of course not. But nothing can happen that God's not aware of, God doesn't notice, that God wasn't prepared for. That will just be another little mountain he will see somebody through, whether it's a broken leg on the way up, whether it's a heart attack, whether it's the, the loss of somebody on the way, whether I get mugged. The Lord is your protector. As individuals doing God's work, I think we get that promise too. It's not that nothing bad could ever happen. But there's nothing, there's nothing beyond the scope of what God would allow. And he will, he'll have us even come what may. The psalmist gives us a military illustration next. I love this. He says, the Lord is the shade at your right hand. Your right hand. Your shade at your right hand, the Hebrew says. This is not, he's going to keep your right hand from getting sunburned. This is a military illustration. The armies of the day uh, marched more or less in a tight formation like this. These are not Hebrew soldiers. Uh, but everything was modeled at this time off the ancient Greek phalanx. And here's the way this worked. The ancient uh, soldier held his shield in his left hand and his weapon in his right. For the ancient Hebrews, it would have been much shorter swords. Much later, the Greeks would use spears like on the screen here. But if I have my shield here and my sword here, where am I vulnerable? On my right hand. On my right hand side. So we get in a tight formation so that my shield is helping to shade my buddy's right hand and my buddy standing close to me is helping shield my right hand. Right? And so everybody, this guy right here, you know, standing next to Captain America here apparently, uh, but uh, see how he is, he is protected on his right hand. Everybody's protected except this poor sap out on the end. He has no one to shade his right hand. The psalmist says, when you're attacking that difficult problem God put in front of you, the Lord will be the shade, the protector, the shield for your vulnerable places. Your vulnerabilities might be physical. They might be infirmities. They might be, we prayed for my mom's knee replacement. Tomorrow she's got, she's got one knee that need, needs replaced and the other one it's all wore out. Other than that, they're fine. 
Your vulnerabilities might be economic. Your vulnerabilities might be social, professional, anxiety. The psalmist says, when you are climbing whatever hill it is God has put in front of you, he will protect you. And he will be the shield over your vulnerable places. Verse 6. The psalmist says, The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. This is a, a figure of speech that's extremely common in the Old Testament, especially Hebrew poetry. It's called a merism. Um, it's just where an author lists two extremes and assumes everything in the middle. For example, God is sometimes called uh, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Does that mean God is the beginning and the end and nothing in between? No, it means he's the beginning and the end and everything in between. So the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. This is, you have 24 hour protection. This is, this is an ancient deodorant commercial right here. You've got 24 hour protection all day and all night from this God who promises Whatever dangers present themselves, day or night, you might be asleep. God's not. He's a faithful protector of the nation as a whole and the individual Israelites on the way. It it just makes sense. God can't keep his promise to all of Israel if God doesn't keep his promise to most of the individuals that make up Israel. Verse 7 the psalmist zooms back out and back in, all in one verse. It says, the Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will protect you from all evil. Is that a big job? See, the camera has to zoom out. How far do you have to zoom out to be able to get all evil in the shot? Is there a lot of evil out there? There's a lot of evil out there. The promise is the Lord can protect you from all of it. Who but God can make that promise? Parents, can you look at your children and say, I can protect you from all evil? No. We'd love to. Now, it's part of our job. Right? God gave children to parents so that we will pay attention uh, where they go and who they hang out with and who they spend the night with and all, and all that stuff. It's part of our job. But then they grow up and they start to spend more time away from us. And as parents, you know what we want to do? We want to protect them from all evil. So you know how we try to do it? Generally, once our kids are 
you know, are big enough that maybe we're not as concerned about them you know, being kidnapped or, or something like that. Here's what we want. We want the evil we want to protect our kids from is the evil of being ridiculed, being left out, being rejected, being ignored. You know why? Because we remember what it feels like to be ridiculed and left out and ignored. So here's what we do as parents. We want to push our kids to be elite at something. Be somebody no one will ignore. No one will leave out. No one won't think is awesome. We want to push our kids to be great. Uh, be, a, be a great athlete. Be an elite student. Be a, just find something to be elite at. And then you won't feel that pain that I felt. Here's the problem. It doesn't work. They just wind up feeling rejected by their parents. Because I wasn't even enough for my dad. Or they do get really good at that thing or those things, and it doesn't deliver either. Being a starter on the football team, getting that elusive volleyball scholarship cannot protect your kids from evil. So parents, if you want to protect your kids from evil, encourage them to get to know the Lord who can protect them from all evil. Push your kids toward the Lord more than you push your kids to be great at something in this earth. And the scary thing is, you can't make them love God either. But you, can, you can't light that fire, but you can stack as much kindling around their heart as possible. So when that spark lands, it goes. So we've zoomed out. The Lord will protect you from all evil. Does that mean nothing bad will ever happen? No. Here's what it means. Zoom back in. The Lord will keep your soul. How tight does the camera have to get, right? How wide does the camera have to get before we can see all evil? Really wide. How close does the camera have to get before it sees my soul? The psalmist says, the Lord will protect you from all evil. How? He's got your soul. No matter what happens, what, even if I fall off that mountain to my death, if I am a faithful one of God, at the end of that fall will be the best day of my life. Not on the way down, necessarily. But when I stand before him, forgiven, righteous, accepted, for us we know by the blood of Christ, he has protected me from all evil. Because he's got my soul. And here's what that does for us. Once we know, hey, wait, God's got my soul. I like this translation because it uses that word soul. If your uh, translation says life, it's not like it's a bad translation, but just don't think of physical life. 
Think more soul. Think eternal life. Here's what that does. God's got my soul forever and ever and ever. Here's what that starts to do. All the rest of the evil that really is out there is like so many rabbit dogs on so many chains that can only get so close. Because they can't get to my soul. They might bite an arm off, but they can't get to my soul. Because the Lord promises to protect me from all evil because he's got my, my soul. And once I know that, I have less anxiety about the evils. I, I have less cares um, about my own human greatness or impressiveness. I just want to be with the one who's got my soul. Once we've made it that far, after verse 7, Psalmist is ready to draw his conclusion to his original question, which was, how am I going to get way up there? Remember, this seems too big. I seem too weak. I'm too old. I'm too lame. How can I get up there? Oh, yeah, I can get up there because the one who's asking me to go is the one who created the mountain. This, is, this problem is too big for me. It's not too big for God. And he promises not to let my foot slip. He promises to not fall asleep. He promises to be the shade on my exposed, vulnerable places. He's got my soul, and he'll protect me from all evil. And so the conclusion kind of is, I guess maybe that hill isn't so big after all. Here's his conclusion. The Lord will guard your goings out and your comings in from this time forth forever. What does that mean? I will tell you. After I get to the top of that hill that God's going to take me to and we have this festival, whatever time of the year it is, in Jerusalem, after that I'm going to go out from Jerusalem and a few months later I'm going to come back in. These promises repeat over and over and over. He's going to see me safely on the way home. And next time he asks me to climb that hill, he's going to see me up that one too. And he's going to see me safely home this time forth and forever. When the psalmist began, he was just hoping to get up the hill. By the time he sits down to write this poem, he's discovered so much so much more. He's not simply dealing with a climb up a hill. He's dealing with his relationship with the creator of heaven and earth, the one who promised to protect all of his people and individuals within that group, the one who's able to rescue his soul, save him from all evil, all this stuff. And that same God cares about, he discovered, cares about me. And so he wrote this down because he wanted someone else to know God cares about you. And you can climb whatever mountain that is he's placed in front of you. Because if he has asked you to climb it, you get all these promises. Isn't that a great poem? I love Psalm 121. What's difficult for me as the, as the preacher is helping you apply this to your life. It's difficult because unlike ancient Israel, the church, 
We don't all have the same hill. We're all climbing dozens of different hills. That's why all morning long, I've been talking about what are you going through? What's going on? Why do you need to see Jesus from the beginning? Right? Is your, is your difficulty, I don't know what it is. Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it social? Is it loneliness? I don't know what it is, but here's what I know. First, it's important to understand these great promises of protection and seeing my sandal on the mountain and all this stuff. The protections and the promises in Psalm 121 for the people of Israel only extended to the people who had enough faith to climb the mountain. And here's why that's important for us. Here's what we want. We want to take all these promises and claim them while we just go do our own thing. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm still going to pursue my own greatness and my own pride and try to make people impressed with me, and then I'll be mad at God if he doesn't come through the way I want him to. It's not the way this works. In ancient Israel, if you didn't climb the hill, you didn't get these promises. They weren't for you. So it's important that we, that we assess, that we make sure, are we, am I climbing God's hills in my life, or do I spend all my time just trying to conquer my own hills? Find God's mountain, climb it. And there's lots of different ones. Sometimes we can decide and choose them. These might have something to do with my, my personal holiness, my walk with the Lord, some sin in my life I need to repent of. It could be a little mountain I've got to climb. I may have to expose some things. I may have to get some help. Hey, somebody, oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Confession and repentance are God's idea. They're always God's mountain. These promises will be for you. You might not get to choose yours, right? You're dealing with a, a diagnosis, an injury, um, a death in your family, whatever it is. God wouldn't bring you to that if he wouldn't walk with you through it. If you pray about this consistently, I think he, God will show you the mountain he has for you climbing. And understand, if you, if you are climbing a mountain to his glory, for the benefit of others as he builds his church, like we can depend on the one who created that mountain. He will walk through it every step of the climb. And just like in ancient Israel, do you know what happened at the top when they climbed up there? Like, it was a festival. It was a party. Sometimes we miss out on our greatest chances to rejoice because we won't undertake the difficult work of climbing God's hills. He expects us to climb hard. He has always made like, the stuff he asked people to do Difficult. Right? He didn't have a tram up to Israel. Right? It was, there wasn't the gondola that you got in. It was hard, and he still asked his people to do it, knowing I can get you up there, and it will always be worth it if you will be about climbing the hills I ask of you. Can you apply that to your life? 
so applicable, so wonderful. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, for an ancient text by an anonymous poet. But we know that you wrote this, you preserved this, not about us, but for us. God, I pray for every one of us here as you send us out to to get back to climbing. That we would assess what really are we climbing in life? Do we climb your hill so that others might know you? Or do we just climb our own? Where at the top is, is our greatness and, and success and our financial well-being. God, show us what it is you want us to climb. Help us to be co-climbers. Help us to remember there are others going through uh, similar things. We are not alone. Because there are others who climb also because you are with us. You see every foot on the climb, every step. You protect us from all evil and you have our souls if we believe in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. God, show us the mountain you want us to climb here this spring, this summer. Give us the guts and the grace to climb it to your glory and show us what you can do through faithful folks who aren't afraid to climb. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.